Welcome to the Aurora Cornerstone Podcast. Thank you for tuning in. We hope today's message is an encouragement to you. All right. So we were at, we've looked at, when we go to Blue Mountain, we've looked at a number of the sayings that they have at Blue Mountain. And I just really get a kick out of the sayings. And, and so the, here, here are 10 signs in the kitchen. Number one. Sign says, so this isn't home sweet home, adjust. Another sign says, ring bell for maid service. If no answer, do it yourself. The next one, I clean house every other day, and today is the other day. If you write in the dust, please don't date it. I would cook dinner, but I can't find the can opener. My house was clean last week. Too bad you missed it. It doesn't always look like this. Some days it's even worse. A messy kitchen is a happy kitchen, and this kitchen is delirious. A balanced diet, this is my wife's, a balanced diet is a butter tart in each hand. And yes, and and this is, I think, my favorite of the ten. Countless number of people have eaten in this kitchen and gone on to leave normal lives. I think that's my favorite. Isaiah chapter 49 speaks of how God relates to mothers. And a couple of weeks ago, we talked about nurturing love. And that's really a mother's nurturing love. Isaiah 49, 15. Can a mother forget the baby at her breast and have no compassion on the child she has born? Though she may forget, God says, I will not, I will not, another trans, I will never forget you. I like that. Although we may feel maybe neglected, we might feel that, yeah, it wasn't what it could have been. That's not God. He will never forget you. Isaiah 66, 13, as a mother comforts her child, so God says, so I comfort you. Receive that comfort. So Father, just as we begin this time together, we just invite Holy Spirit, you are him who doesn't forget. Bring comfort where there might be hurt, where we might feel forgotten, where we might feel wounded today. Holy Spirit, we just say yes and receive these words that were spoken and prophesied, speaking of your nurturing love to us. You don't forget us, and you always are there to comfort us. Grant that this day, we pray in your name. Amen. 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 7. Husbands, be considerate of your wives and treat them with respect. Another translation says, treat them with honor. And Exodus 20, 12, that's the text where it has the Ten Commandments. It says, honor your father and mother so that you may live long. There's blessings of a full life in bringing honor to your parents. It didn't say honor your mother and father where honoring is due. You can honor them even though there might be some issues. You can still bring honor. It's, uh, it's possible. I want to go back to 1 Peter chapter 3, 7. Husbands, be considerate of your wives and treat them with respect. The word respect or honor... I want to use that and springboard off of that this morning 
because I want to salute mothers today. And that phrase, respect and honor, is a part of a definition. I looked up the definition. I didn't put it here for you today. I looked up the definition for salute. And salute means to it's basically give an, an expression of honor and, and respect. It's an expression of honor and respect. Now, often we think of salute, you think of soldiers saluting to those that they need to respect and give honor to. And today I want to talk about we need to salute because really that's what 1 Peter 3 says. We need to salute our parents. We need to salute our moms, our mothers. We salute you. I was uh, back in the day when a number of years ago in the, my, I think it was my, uh, I don't know, my first, second, or third wedding I did. So I was early. And in the, after the vows were exchanged and the pledge was given, and then the officiant would give the final words kind of thing. And, and what I would say is I would, I would say upon, you know, what you've shared, your vows, your pledge that you have given each other, I now pronounce you husband and wife by the authority given me. You may, back then, in my little black book, we had this little black book we had. And then the little black book, and I never thought to change it at first. I've changed it since, you'll be glad to know. But back then I didn't. It says, now you may, husbands, now you can salute your bride. That's what they said. Now, some of you, you, maybe you got married, and that's what they said. That's what they said for us. You may salute your bride. And I remember the one time, I never really gave it any thought, but it was one of my earlier ones. He didn't know what to do with that, the husband. You may salute your bride. And he looked at me. <laughs> and so he saluted her, you know. <laughs> and, and not until that moment did I think, I think I should say kiss from here on in. And... And not just leave it up to the husband to kiss, because some, I've had it then since then. You may kiss your bride, and he kind of looks at her, mm, and, and, you know, she's like puckered up. And, and so now I just say, you may salute each other, or you may, you may kiss each other, I say. So back then it was, you may salute your bride. I've taken that out of the book. I don't know where that came from. I, actually, it came from 1 Peter 3. I get it now. It comes because it means honor and respect, but salute's kind of an odd word. We don't see that. Today I do want to salute. I don't mean this salute. I don't mean with my hand over my head. I mean we want to give honor and respect. We want to give tribute, a tangible expression of appreciation to mothers today. I don't know if you've heard author and pastor Max Lucado. Max Lucado, uh, probably one of the better storytellers around, tells the story when his two daughters were young, they were six years old and eight years old, he had a game in his home and went into a room and he blindfolded the youngest, the six-year-old, and, and turned them around. They didn't know where in the room they were, put them up against the wall, and the eight-year-old went to the opposite wall. And what he had them do in this game of being blindfolded, the eight-year-old was to talk to the six-year-old and navigate her through all the obstacles of the room to get to her side of the room. So maybe you've done the game. I've done it as teenagers. We used to do this game once in a while as teenagers in youth group. It can be a lot of fun. It can be, a lot, it can be quite dangerous too. So the eight-year-old is navigating you know, two steps forward, baby steps to your left, giant steps, you step over something, you know, to your right, and they navigate the one to the other side of the room. And then Max talks about then they switch places and the eight-year-old was blindfolded and the six-year-old is navigating the the eight-year-old over, and, and sure enough, getting left and right mixed up constantly, and so bumping into the wall, and, and it was just a, it was a, fairly a game of bedlam, 
And so at the end of the game, uh, he asked them, he said, well, what did you think of the game? And neither one of them liked it. Neither one of them liked the game. They said, it's scary going where you can't see. And that's kind of parenting, isn't it? Parenting is we go where we can't see. I don't know what tomorrow holds. And parenting is having to trust, to place faith, and to do your best, but you just don't know what tomorrow holds. You kind of launch into it day after day, week after week, month after month, and year after year. And it's really like mothering, I would think, as well. As mothers, we don't know what tomorrow holds. You know, when your little, your little one was born, a little bit of you was deposited into them. And then every single day, more of you goes into that little one. And week after week, month after month, more of you, you begin to, more of you goes into them. You just unload you into the little one to whom you gave life to. And no wonder, because of all this investment in them and not knowing, you know, it's like the game of being blindfolded and going from one end to the other and we don't know what tomorrow holds. It can be a worrisome task. You know, I know the Bible says in Philippians 4, do not be anxious for anything, but in all things give thanks. But having said that, it's really, really hard. I'm going to say impossible not to at times worry. Because, well, there's good reason. Because we don't know what's going to happen. We don't know what wall. We don't know what vacuum cleaner they're going to trip over. We don't know what perils are on the path. And we do our best to try to help them navigate through that. Mothers worry about your little baby's warmth. When they get a bit older, you worry about safety around electrical outlets. You worry about sharp objects, falling out of bed at night. I was just a toddler and fell out of bed and broke my elbow. My mom says, I never would have guessed that would have been the thing you would have done. It would have been a bazillion other things. But she never, never thought about me falling out of bed and smashing my elbow. Worrying about falling out of bed at night. Worrying about your child's diet, too much sun, slipping in the bathtub. Are they too cold? Are they too hot? Are they wearing enough clothes? Worried about the dogs next door. Worrying about their first day of school. Worrying about their marks. Worrying about what teacher they will get. Worrying about what friends they will have. Worrying about their gym class. Mothers worry about them starting high school, having their first job. When they go for their driving test, they're out too late. What they're going to do for a living, what school they will go to, their future, who they will marry, what they will think of you. <laughs> you worry about what they will think of you. We have reason. Moms, you have reason to worry to that degree. For we all navigate blindly through life's obstacles. We have to trust God. We have to place our faith in him. And here's the really, really good news, is all of us here today, I think, understand something about that. I would be amiss to try to understand what it would be like not to put my faith and trust in God and to get through life. Some of you maybe come to Christ later in life and you say, I know what it was like. And you can compare what it was like to not live for Christ and know what it was that God was for you, God was providing, God was your protector and now understanding it later in life. So 
we really don't know what happens. I mean, the reality check this morning on Mother's Day is I can't tell you with any certainty that I will live long enough to finish this sentence that I am presently on. Phew, I did. Nor can I tell you that you'll live long enough to walk out of this auditorium. I hope you do. But we have no assurance is the reality. A few weeks ago, I dedicated my granddaughter to the Lord. Just about a week ago, I mailed off a letter to them. Uh, out of snail mail, out it went. Put a stamp. Had to figure out where to get a stamp. It's been a long time. Get a stamp, send a letter. And the letter I wrote was to my son. To And on the front of the letter, it said... Uh, uh, to be opened on 12th birthday. Something I've been doing for decades for baby dedication is that the parents will receive this letter and it's sealed. There's a letter inside and it says on the front to be opened on 12th birthday. And so Evangeline, when she turns 12, will open it. And in the letter is, is a, a bit about the service, a bit about the scriptures we spoke, a bit about our prayers, what her mom and dad's intent was, what God's plans and purposes for her life are. Just want blessing to flow from that. And so we give a letter for them to open on their 12th birthday. So I sent that off so that she would have it on her 12th birthday. But here again is the reality is I pray she'll be around to open it on her 12th birthday. But we have no guarantee, do we? Being blind to the future of our family, we all share this. Whether you're wealthy or whether you're poor, whether you live in China or you live in Canada, whether you're young or whether you're old makes absolutely no difference. None of us know how our children are going to turn out. We can put some methods and principles in place, but we do not have our personal ability to make that happen. We have to trust and have faith. None of us know the day we will die. No one knows to whom we will even marry. What marriage, what's going to happen in the marriage. We universally, absolutely, unilaterally, we all are blind. There's just the reality. It's not meant to make us sad. It's a reality. And try as we might. We can walk as straight as we can. But chances are we're going to get a lot of stub toes along the way. Life is filled with things that hurt just is. That's okay. It's still okay. Because we know the healer. So although we will get hurt, not if we get hurt, we will get hurt. And that hurt might be deeper than you ever thought it could be. And you don't know how you ever claw your way back out of your hurt. But if you know the healer, that's what you need to know. He is able to keep that which you've committed until when? Until the final day. He is able. And so my healer is able to do that. So this morning I want to talk. I thought. I, I just started looking at scripture at it, some mums. And there were some natural mums. One of the mums I think you're going to probably think. Okay that's an, a given mum. And, and I actually did some check and see what. Uh, what others have talked about on mums. And often what they have done. They've talked about mums. They've used Mary. She's probably one of the best role model mums in the Bible. So I'm going to use her. I'm going to make her my third mum of my illustrations today. But there's two other mums, maybe less known. And I want to talk about these mums, and I want to give a salute, because out of these three mums, I think there's something to be appreciated and honored for this Mother's Day. 
Let me, first of all, the first mom, we don't even know her name. She's simply called the sick girl's mom. The sick girl's mom. Okay, we can probably relate already. So let me tell you the story. It's found in Mark chapter 5. And in Mark chapter 5, you can read this in your own time. I'm going to tell you the story. It's a guy by the name of Jairus. And Jairus is a synagogue leader in this town that is a Jewish town. And so as a synagogue leader, the synagogue is the hubbub of the town. It's the center of town activity. It's where the town cultural events take place. The synagogue is where leadership meetings take place. It's the center of education in the town. It's the center of their faith in the town. It's the place where he often would be the mayor. If you're the synagogue leader, you're often the mayor of the town. You're certainly one of the elders of the town. And you're a man of influence. You don't have to worry about your future. Your pension's in place. You have a reasonable salary. And the people look up to you. You're the leader of the community. It's a good spot to be a synagogue leader. Jairus had a pretty good job. I mean, he had everything going for him. Who could ever want for anything different? Jairus had life going well. Except for one thing. There's one thing that wasn't going well. His 12-year-old daughter was dying. And if he could have anything right now, all the other really doesn't matter. Let my girl live. She's only 12. What would we say? She has her whole life before her. He wants her daughter to live. Who can blame him? We all would. Now, the story often revolves around Jairus, and we've talked about it, and I like the story of Jairus because it's a great story. The girl would die. As a matter of fact, all three mums, their kids die. I know that's the morbid part of the story here. The all three kids all die. But Jairus, we often talk about Jairus. I want to talk about his wife. And again, we don't know her name. We know his name. He's the synagogue leader. But there's a mother to that 12-year-old. And I began to think about this because this is the... Ones that are missed. Jairus, all the limelight's with him. He has made his way. Maybe he's seen Jesus. Maybe he has talked with Jesus before. Maybe he has heard about Jesus. We don't know the the backdrop to this story. Except that Jairus believes that if he can get to Jesus, and if Jesus would come back to where his daughter is, she's not well enough to travel, to go back to his home, that maybe his daughter would live. That's what Jairus was after. We don't know the length of time it took to him for him to get to Jesus. He would have had a bit of an entourage traveling with him. He's a man of renown. He would have made his way to Jesus. But I want to think about mom here for a minute. Because mom is the one that's not mentioned by name. She's just mother of the sick girl. And she's the one at home. Now we know there's a mother because in verse 20 it mentions her just as the mother. So she's there. She's the one at home. So while Jairus is gone, however long, how many days it takes, as he's gone to negotiate, where's mom? She's there with the sick girl. Every minute of her sickness, that's mom. When she's broken out in the fever, mom is there wiping her brow. Never leaving the sick girl. Jairus is going and he needs to go and get help. But mom is there cleaning up maybe the vomit. We don't know what she was sick of. Perhaps trying to, when she wakes up and becomes lucid, trying to get a little bit of liquid into her so that she has liquid in her body 
She can continue to live and fighting with that and, and just believing for her and, and sitting by the side of her bed believing for her, believing for her, never leaving her. And when the daughter drifts off to sleep, the mother catches a few winks of sleep herself, exhausted, 24-7. There's mom. Jairus is out getting Jesus. Mom is with the girl. Now tell me which one's harder. <laughs> Definitely the mother. There she is. The emotions drained from her. That's her girl. No doubt weeping. And if that's not enough, there's probably relatives and people around asking a ton of questions. You've got to field all the questions. You've got to do all the other work. We don't know if there's other siblings. If she's got to continue to feed them and keep the house while tending to her 12-year-old sick and dying daughter. And in that day and age, especially if you're a synagogue leader... There was a lot of opinion that if you had sickness in your home, there must be sin in that home. And so you've got the disdain of some people that give you the look. You feel it. And so not only is your heart broken and you're doing all those things, but you've got a sense that you have fallen short. And there's mom. We don't know her name. I want to suggest this mother, although she's doing all these things, praying, wiping the sweat from her daughter, and going through all the things that she has to do as a mother to her daughter, that she is reaching for something. She is not simply consumed by the, by the hurt of the moment, but that her eyes are fixed on the healer, just like Jairus. Paul says in 2 Corinthians 4.18, he says, we set our eyes not on what we see, but on what we cannot see. Let me read that again. We set our eyes on not what we can see, but what we cannot see. What we see will last only for a short while. But what we cannot see, what we cannot see, will last forever. And the picture is, I set my eyes not on simply a sick girl. But can I have my eyes on the healer? Can I have my eyes on the Savior and not be just consumed in the moment's events of the day? I've got my eyes beyond this moment. This mother did. We know this was a woman of faith. How do we, how do we know she's a woman of faith? Again, back to the one verse that mentions her, verse 20. You see, Jesus does show up, but the girl's dead by now. She didn't make it. The mother was there alone. The husband wasn't there. Mother was there alone when the girl died. You really need dad at that time. She was there and the girl dies. And then Jesus, Jairus, shows up. She's dead. People are going through the ritual of mourning for the dead. And Jesus comes along and Jesus wants to have a moment. You know, Jesus recognizes there are Again, back to that story of Mark the Cattle. There are those who lead the blind, and there are those who can't see how to lead the blind. In other words, the blind are leading the blind. And Jesus doesn't want the blind leading the blind around the little girl right now and around mom and dad. He wants those who can see what can't be seen. He wants those that Paul spoke of, that their eyes are fixed on something that you can't see with your physical eyes, but you can see in the Spirit. You've got faith in God. Because Jesus tells all these blind guides, you're not welcome inside the house. He invites mom and, mom and dad in the house because they have faith. How do I know she's a woman of faith? She got invited by Jesus on the inner circle. Come on in. 
mom and dad, watch what's going to happen. The healer's here. The healer's here. (laughs) She's a woman of faith. While Jesus threw a bunch of people out, not her, she was there. So here's my exhortation number one. Here's my first salute. Mothers should be saluted for their persistent love. Way to go, mother of the sick girl. You never gave up on her. Way to go. You were with her the whole time. So we salute moms. Be persistent. Continue to be persistent in your love. We need you to be persistent in your love. Mom here had a persistent love for her family. She stayed with her. I want to take you to the second mom, and the second mom is so different from the first mom. The second mom, we have a name for her. Her name is Rizba. And Rizba is found in 2 Samuel chapter 21. And it's a story, I'll be honest, it's a story that I've, I've read probably countless times. But this last couple of weeks, I got stuck on this one because I was looking for some mums in the Bible, and it's a founder, she's a mom. And her story's ah, got tragedy all around. It's, it's a nasty story, it's a grotesque story. Um, I can't say it really has a happy ending at all in this story, but it made it to the canon, and so we need to look at it. So it's found in 2 Samuel chapter 21. Let me just tell you a little bit about this story. King David is reigning in Israel. But three years of famine has riddled the nation of Israel. Three years. Imagine three years of drought. They have no crops. Their animals are dying. Their people are dying. It's a horrible moment in in the life of the Israelites. And David inquires of the Lord, what's wrong? What's wrong, God? Why are we not receiving open heaven? And God reveals to David that there's an injustice that has not been restituted. What was the injustice? Well, it was David's predecessor, King Saul. Now, the last part of King Saul's life, he was not a very godly king. He did some pretty bad things, and he had multiple wives, and in Saul's final years of his leading the kingdom, he had attacked and killed and almost annihilated a nation called the Gibeonites and did horrendous things to the people of... I mean, he slaughtered the people... Men, women, and children. So God pointed out to David, listen, you need to fix this. Remember, God's a God of justice. And he's saying to David, listen, there's a problem. The heavens are not open because there has not been justice. Now, David represents the people, not King Saul's dead. He's gone. David represents the people, and God says, now it's up to you to fix this, David. These are your people. So David goes to, King David goes to the Gibeonites and he talks to them and he says, okay, it's been made aware that the atrocities that King Saul did against your people have not been restituted. What do you want? What can we do to to fix this, to bring justice? And so what they did was the Gibeonites, again, they're not Israelites, the Gibeonites exploited the Levitical law called retributive justice. In other words, Saul's not living anymore, but he's got some kids that are living. Give us his sons. That was the request. There were seven of them from different wives. So David did. David gave the seven sons of Saul to the Gibeonites. This is where our mother comes in, Rizpah. She had two illegitimate sons by King Saul. 
She is one of the many widows of the dethroned and deceased Saul. So to fulfill the law of retribution, David had the sons delivered and the Gibeonites hung them from the gallows until they were dead. Rizba is a mom of two of them. She's an ungodly woman as far as we know. The result of all of this, and again, it's a gruesome story, the deaths of seven. Now, the bodies are hanging. Here's what happened. The Gideonites left the bodies on the gallows. They just didn't hang them until death. They left them for day after day for the birds of the air and the beasts of the field to pick at. Rizba comes in. Rizba does for her sons in death what she cannot do for them in life. What does Rizba do? She protects them from predators. They're dead. But she is not going to let anything dishonor the bodies of her kids. She couldn't protect them. But she can do something right now. And this is for the story. It made it into the canon. Many times we've slipped over this story. Here we witness a grieving mother grieving over her two boys, taking up this silent vigil over the corpses left on a hill, swinging from the gallows. And what does she do? She has stick in hand and she's chasing the birds away. She is there day and she is there night. You are not going to touch my boys. Kind of an interesting story. A sad story, but it's an interesting story. She can't stop David from giving the boys. She can't stop the Gibeonites from killing them. She does what she can. And the text says, from the beginning of the harvest till the rain poured down from the heavens on the bodies, she did not let the birds of the air touch them by day or the wild animals by night. No scavengers were going to eat the bodies of her boys. A bit of time passed. King David hears about it. He hears about the boys still swinging from the gallows. And the text continues on. King David was moved with compassion. What moved his heart with compassion? Rizpah, this mother who stood vigil over her dead boys. And so David, the king, the now reigning king, moved with compassion, moves in, takes the boys down from the trees and gives them a decent burial. Rizba's vigil speaks of persistent love's mom. Persistent love, persistent love. Poet Rudgard Kipling says this, If I were hanged on the highest hill, I know whose love would follow me still. Mother of mine, mother of mine. If I were drowned in the deepest sea, if I know whose tears would come down to me. Mother of mine, mother of mine. If I were damned by body and soul, I know whose prayers would make me whole. Mother of mine, mother of mine. Long after fathers have disowned their children, a mother will still be there. There's a persistence, moms, that we salute. There's a persistence that you have stuck with it and didn't leave. We salute you, mom, for sticking with it. Stay with it, mom. It makes a difference. Let me give you my second exhortation in all of this. Mothers need to be saluted not just for their persistent love, but they need to be saluted for their tremendous impact that they have on the lives of all of us. All of us. Not just my mom on me, but mothers on me. Mothers on all people. The impact you have 
you need to be saluted for. Brings me to my third mom, Mary, the mother of Jesus. Uh, I imagine there's a number of people preaching on Mary today, and Mary's an easy one, but I want to draw Mary out as my last of the three mothers again, a son who died. I'm convinced that the person who had the most influence on Jesus next to Father God was his mom. She had the greatest impact on Jesus. Now, Joseph would have as well. Joseph would have been there at Calvary when Jesus went to the cross had he been living. But we know somewhere between the point of Jesus' 12th birthday and his 30th birthday, Joseph died. We don't know how. We don't have record of that. There's ideas. There's legends. We just don't know for sure. But Joseph had died. And Mary, single mom, stayed with Jesus. And the impact she had on Jesus. I mean, I just began to casually go from Scripture to Scripture. And I began to realize no matter where Jesus went, Mary went too. She just had impact on Jesus. Now, maybe, you know, some of us would go, I don't want my mom to go everywhere I'm going. But for Jesus, it worked. For Jesus, she had some tremendous impact, a good impact on Jesus' life. I mean, we pick it up in the early part of John chapter 2, verse 1. It says, on the third day, there was a wedding in Cana of Galilee, and the mother of Jesus was there. That's the first miracle he had. The first, his coming out miracle. And there's his mom. She's there. And not only she's there, she's, she's conversing over with Jesus because they had a dilemma. And she's talking with Jesus and she says, son, you can do this. She's his number one fan, son. You can fix this whole problem. And Jesus is like, you know, we aren't to say this is the day that, that we're to do this miracle. But she, well, you know, you can. Then she's going around, whatever he says, guys, whatever he says, you do it. Now, isn't that a mom? She's just having impact on Jesus. Mary was there for Jesus. Her love surrounded him over and over. She stayed close to her son. Mark chapter 2, verse 32. It says, another instance, a multitude was sitting around Jesus and they said to him, look, your mother and your brothers are outside seeking you. There she was. There's mom again. There's mom. Mary's Influence was a huge influence on Jesus. And I want to say, most of us, not all of us, but most of us, you've been hugely impacted by your mom. I know I was. I believe my kids were deeply impacted by their mother. And many of you were impacted by your mother. I just want to salute mothers for the impact you make on your families. I just want to salute you because your impact is huge. Don't ever underestimate the impact that you have for life upon your children. Not just when they're little youngins. But, you know, sometimes we think, well, the mother after, we think of Mary, well, she gave birth to Jesus. You know, the whole Christmas story, and then she's meant to disappear. No, she never did disappear. Never did. Never did. Not even past his resurrection. There was Mary, staying with it, impacting his life day by day, week by week, month by month. There's Mary, impacting the life of my Lord. And I thank God for mothers who recognize their position that you have impact. You do have impact on all of us, a deep impact. Mary hugely influenced Jesus. So mothers should be saluted for their persistent love. Mothers need to be saluted for their tremendous impact that they have in the lives of all of us. And the last one I want to share, we salute you mothers because where you are, 
is where home is. A man was traveling. He had traveled around the world. He had been to so many places, lived in so many places. He was asked in an interview one time, where is your home? He didn't have to think long. He said this, my family moved around frequently. There really is no place that I would say is home. I suppose, where, here's what he said, wherever mother was, that's where home is. And some of you can identify. I can. I can think of a homestead I grew up in, but that's not home. I can think of where my mother moved after that, and my dad was gone by that time. And that was home then. And then now in her final years at a nursing home, when we visit, it feels like when mom's there, she's where home is. Ah, Mom, we salute you because where you are is where the home is. The home's not a place of brick and mortar. The home is where you are, Mom. You make home home. So we salute you. Continue to make home home. You have that influence over our lives. Maybe we can identify that with this this morning. A house is just a physical place. A home is where our loved ones are. And where mother is, there's home. So it's appropriate today. We single out a day a year. Need to do it all the time. But we single out a day a year to recognize mothers. With great tribute, we give our mothers. I think the greatest tribute we can give to our mothers is to be the person that they believe in God that we should be. So we salute you, Mom. We salute your persistent love. We salute you, Mom. We, pers- we salute your tremendous impact you've got on all of us. And we salute you, Mom, because where you are is where home is. Thanks for listening to the Aurora Cornerstone podcast. Remember to subscribe. For more information about our church and our ministries, visit auroracornerstone.ca.